Today is Monday, August 8th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Democrats pass a massive spending bill and Republicans issue a dire warning in response. We'll have that story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Getting through that news of the cray together. Joining me, as always, Trey Gons Phillips from CBN's Faithwire. And happy Monday to you, Trey. I know Billy's uh, out this week on vacation. So how's it going, Trey? Good. The weekend flew by, but it was a good weekend. Yes, sir. Uh, Glad to be here for another day, another Monday. Yes, sir. And you'll be taking a look at Elon Musk. It's sort of like his latest verbal battle here with uh, Twitter. I mean, this has not been smooth sailing for him on this deal. No, not at all. (laughs) They've been going back and forth quite a bit. So Yeah, indeed. Hey, I was looking at this date in history. 1942. I did not know this. Six Nazi spies arrested and executed in D.C. Two of them were spared. This is because they unveiled a plot. Hitler had these spies that that they wanted to infiltrate the U.S. and they were going to destroy bridges, plans, basically terrorist attacks, Jewish-owned department stores, and stuff like that. That's wild. And but they executed them in D.C. Interesting history that I did not know. Also coming up on the main thing today, Madison Seals takes a closer look at how transgender activists are using social media to influence children and recruit more followers. So we'll be looking forward to that. But coming up first today, the news in 90 seconds. Democrats pass a massive spending bill over the weekend, uh, which they something they called Voterama. And it's, it's setting up a seemingly sure passage for the bill in the Democrat-controlled House. Um, they call it the Inflation Reduction Act. It passed along party lines. 5150 with Vice President Kamala Harris breaking the tie. That's the 25th time she's done so because, of course, the Vice President uh, under the Constitution serves as the President of the Senate and they have the authority to break those ties. And so she's she's closing in on a record that's been around for almost two centuries, former Vice President John Calhoun. She's done it 25 times. That's insane. Uh, but it's a sprawling bill with climate, tax, and healthcare legislation all in it. And Republicans fired back. They, um, you know, called it a, you know, basically put out a big warning. They said Democrats will pay the price in November for raising taxes on families during a recession. So you can look for that back and forth to be happening all this week. A ceasefire has been announced between Israel and Islamic Jihad, the militant group there in Gaza. This was after a weekend of attacks. Uh, President Biden made an announcement. He said he supported Israel and their security is long-standing and unwavering. His support for Israel and uh, their security is long-standing and unwavering, including its right to defend itself against attacks. He said over these recent days, Israel has defended its people from indiscriminate rocket attacks launched by the terrorist group Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And it's good that President Biden said that because if you read the headlines today across the internet, you will basically just see that Israel um, killed a bunch of Palestinians. That's essentially what the headlines are boiled down to. Obviously, usually, uh, as usual, one-sided reporting coming from the mainstream media. Also, big news this weekend, a massive slew of airline delays and cancellation. Over 6,000 flights delayed with hundreds canceled. One flight attendant said the delays were due to the, quote, unsustainable state of the airline industry that is severely understaffed right now. So that's just some of the headlines that are happening today. You can check out more of them over at CBNnews.com. Well, Trey, Elon Musk struck a deal 
a while back, much to the delight of conservatives who really feel they've been unfairly targeted for censorship on Twitter. And he was supposed to buy it, but that deal has been really on thin ice. Um, and it's been a rocky road and Musk just unleashed a uh, another salvo. Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, battle that's been unfolding because like you said, support for Twitter kind of ballooned uh, earlier this summer, late spring when uh, Musk made his bid uh, and it's all kind of seemingly fallen apart since then or you know it's it's kind of falling apart so uh, the tesla and spacex founder has challenged the current ceo of twitter to a debate all of it over the social media platforms claim that less than five percent of the accounts on the site are spam accounts uh, musk does not buy into that uh, that estimation at all. Uh, so the challenge comes as Musk and Twitter are caught in a legal battle uh, that you alluded to, Dan, as he's trying to kind of back out, really, of his bid to purchase the platform for $44 billion. Uh, so Musk is arguing that he should be released from the purchase agreement because, in his view, Twitter has been withholding key information on how many accounts uh, are spam accounts, uh, which Musk's team argues are created or has has created quote a material adverse effect. Uh, so Musk arrived at his his conclusion uh, about the number of fake accounts after his employees performed an analysis of the number of accounts on Twitter using a publicly available tool. It's actually called Botometer. Uh, it was developed by the University of Indiana. Uh, so while Twitter maintains that the spam bots make up less than 5% of the accounts on the, uh, on the site, Musk believes that based on his own data, uh, it's closer to one-third of the accounts uh, on Twitter. Uh, so there's quite a disparity between what Twitter is claiming uh, and what Musk thinks to be true. So Musk took it to his own Twitter account over the weekend, as he often does. Uh, and he wrote, if Twitter simply provides their method of sampling 100 accounts and how they're confirmed to be real, the deal should proceed on original terms. However, if it turns out that their SEC filings are materially false, then it should not. Uh, so he challenged the CEO of Twitter to a public debate to, quote, prove uh, that less than 5% uh, of the accounts are fake. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see the CEO taking the bait on this one, but uh, it, <laughs> but it is important because I mean, there's this, there's really two worlds in America. There's, there's the world that's on Twitter and the world that isn't, and unfortunately, there are a lot of media influencers who are on Twitter, and so you see a lot of um, narratives and a lot of um, cultural influence really happening on Twitter. It doesn't happen everywhere else, and, and um, the, the influence of it is just such a bizarre phenomenon, uh, particularly within the media and its ability to drive narratives in the media and, and news headlines, because reporters will watch it and say, well, people said this on Twitter, and it becomes a news headline. Um, so it's, yeah. it's, really, it's really quite a thing, but like you said, conservatives were happy when Elon Musk initially bought this and the, or announced this deal that he was going to buy Twitter because they feel that they've been unfairly targeted on Twitter. I mean, you see it time and time again. Oops, we accidentally suspended your account. It was an error. Our bad there. You, you just don't see it as frequently happening in the reverse direction. And it's, it's just one of the platforms that does that. And when you have one particular sort of ideology setting the ground rules for the algorithms, like, well, this is bad. You know, it's bad when when people say things like marriage is between one man and one woman. That's hateful. 
then all of a sudden people start getting banned for just i mean you're seeing people now as we're talking in the main thing here in a minute with madison on the transgender issue trey and so it, it is important because it shapes a mental connotation in americans minds millions of them about what's good and bad and more and more are we not seeing that the christian view is being labeled bad yeah no i think that's exactly right and i think the uh, fascinating thing about this uh, this back and forth story between Twitter and Elon Musk is the the underlying story, the motivation behind all of it, right? Which was Elon Musk wanting to purchase this because he saw the bias that Twitter was executing uh, over some of their users. He saw the censorship issues that you were just talking about, Dan. Uh, so now I think it's fascinating to see as this deal uh, kind of seems to fall apart. Uh, it, he's kind of proving his point inadvertently because the media is covering this issue and they're covering it completely one-sided. Yeah. Uh, all of the stories, for the most part, are anti-Elon Musk or being critical of Elon Musk and just taking Twitter at its word when they say something. It's kind of like, well, uh, by Elon Musk kind of battling this out and maybe buying Twitter, he's still proving his point that Twitter and the media in general has a huge bias problem. Uh, yeah. I think we all have come to realize that whether you know there are plenty of people on the left uh, that, that at least know that the bias exists because how can you deny it at this point the difference is a lot on the left just don't have an issue with it so they want it to continue uh, obviously a bunch of conservatives and christians certainly have an issue with it which is why support for twitter uh, seemed to kind of you know tip quite a bit when this deal first came about people that didn't have active accounts started using twitter again uh with the thought of elon musk potentially owning it so we'll see if those numbers kind of dwindle back down uh, as this deal seems yeah. to to go by the wayside yeah well we'll keep an eye on it and um you know look elon musk made the fatal mistake of being nice to some conservatives that were high profile <laughs> and that and instantly signaled to a lot of the you know left side of mainstream media to uh, now right like you said with shade and a negative connotation every time you know elon musk is is in the news and you see that a lot so all right trey thanks for uh, breaking that one down that takes us to our main thing today and we're seeing it more and more highly sexualized performances and events often aimed at families and children in the transgender movement drag queens etc so this disturbing trend is continuing to grow so how are they gaining influence well, Madison Seals has more on that on today's Main Thing. Welcome into The Main Thing, where today we're discussing the radical shift towards a genderless society where boys and girls are encouraged at a young age to see their identity as something fluid. We're seeing this ideology perpetuated through movies and television shows. Even Disney has embraced this push. We're seeing it in school classrooms and textbooks being introduced to children as early as kindergarten. And by no surprise, we're seeing this trend embraced by social media as a whole. And this is having a huge impact on younger generations. The number of people identifying as LGBT increases in percentage by generation. So listen to this. A Gallup poll conducted last year shows that 20% of Generation Z self-identifies as LGBT, while 10% of millennials and 4% of Generation X identify as such. That's a drastic increase by generation. And here to discuss what is behind this surge is ethics and public policy analyst Claire Morell. Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. 
I want to discuss your new article in The Federalist called, If You Don't Get a Grip on Your Kid's Social Media, Trans Activists Will. We all know too much technology is bad for you, especially for developing minds. But as I mentioned a few seconds ago, a shocking 20% of Gen Z is identifying as LGBT. And I'm not even sure that includes the cues. Do you think social media has something to do with this? Yes, I absolutely do. And that is why I wrote this article, because as you mentioned, I do think parents are aware that smartphones and social media aren't the best things for their kids, that they're addictive, that they affect their brains. And so they try to put time limits on screen time each day to protect them. But I don't think parents are fully aware of just the types of harmful content circulating on these platforms, that even a short amount of time being exposed to some of these social media platforms can be extremely damaging. And one of these increasing trends that we're seeing is the trans influencers who are on these social media platforms actively trying to recruit children to their cause. And so you have these confessional videos on TikTok and YouTube telling kids that if you feel uncomfortable in your body, just transition your gender and it will solve all your problems. And so, you know, these trans activists have really taken to social media to really prey on the vulnerability of young children and recruit them to their movement. And I think parents are not always aware um, that this is happening. And so that's why I wrote my article to draw attention to this trend, which I do believe is leading to this increasing number in these rising generations who are identifying as LGBT. Right. And I think you started to get into this a little bit, but can you explain a little bit more about how trans activists are recruiting followers? Like what kind of manipulation techniques do you see them using to push these ideologies that are not, might I add, easily understood or natural? Yes, so I think that they are exploiting the kind of social media platforms and their algorithms, which so the platforms are partly to blame as well as the influencers and that we see TikTok and Instagram are using their algorithms to actively promote content to kids, content from complete strangers. So kids aren't just on there interacting with their peers, they're increasingly being fed videos and posts from strangers like LGBT activists. And so I wanted parents just to be aware that this is happening on these apps and that these influencers then are using social media to appeal to these kids saying that if you feel uncomfortable or you're being bullied or you just don't feel secure about yourself, it might just be because you're the wrong gender. And they're telling them how to lie to their parents, um, you know, to get the kind of typical treatments or surgeries of the trans movement, um, you know, coaching them. This is how, this is what to say to your doctor. This is what to say to your parents to get these treatments. And really just, they're actively undermining parents' authority. They want these kids to come to them. Um, They're saying, we're your allies, we're your friends, we'll embrace you for who you are. You're, you know, and if your parents don't accept, you know, that you want to be a different gender, then they don't love you. And so it's really the, they're actively lying to kids and and undermining parents' authority um, as they coach and kind of recruit them. And, you know, some people have said it's really akin to grooming, um, that they're really kind of trying to get kids when they're young um, to, to become trans, to transition their gender and join their LGBT community. Yeah, and that is one of the major points that I took from your article is that the biggest danger in all of this is not so much that children are being introduced to this ideology, but that they're being told to hide it from their parents. So would you say that this idea of a quote-unquote welcoming and accepting community is a way to lure kids away from their parents? And why do you think that is? 
Yes, I do. And I think so part of the the challenge with social media in general is that it replaces distant relationships for close ones. They want you to basically live your life online. These platforms are designed to be addictive because that's how they profit. They profit by selling ad revenue. And so the longer time you're on their platform, the more ads they sell. So they're not neutral. They're trying to have kids spend their lives on these platforms. And by doing so, they're substituting these, you know, relationships with these distant strangers online for the normal close relationships um, bound by your family, your community, your kind of geographical ties. And the danger in that then is that kids used to go down the hallway to their parents' bedroom to ask them their big life questions. If they were struggling with something at school or with, you know, how they felt about themselves. I mean, the teen years are, you know, we know those to be years of questioning. Um, You know, kids are in the kind of throes of puberty and they're navigating new social dynamics. And so it's a really trying time. And kids used to only have the option to parents to their friends to their teachers those in their community who love and support them but now with the the internet they're just being told to turn to these voices online the voices of strangers who don't have their best interests at heart and so then kids are really being lured and pulled away from the natural ties of their family and their parents right which is so sad to see because we know that's one of the tools that progressives and those on the far left use to break up the family unit. And we know the dangers of that and we've seen it and the impact of that in society so far. But you've offered a few ideas in your article for parents who want to protect their kids from the negative influence perpetuating social media. So can you talk about some of that? Yes, absolutely. And and I really do want to just encourage parents to say you're the ones on the front line and you know your child, you love your child, you have their best interests at heart. And so it really, you know, is on you to protect them. And so that's going to be, um, you know, a call to parents to be more proactive in understanding what their kids are doing online. And so the first step really was to just become aware of the harms, which is the main point of my article, but then practically speaking, I think increasingly I've been encouraging parents to take this quote unquote nuclear option that if at all possible to really keep your kids off social media until they're at least 16, if not 18. So the longer you can delay social media use, the better, particularly because kids' brains um, are really malleable between the ages of 10 to 12, they're still developing. So if you can really push social media as far down the road as possible, what's going to be best for them. Um, But, you know, beyond social media, I also really recommend that parents not allow their kid to have a smartphone in the sense that having that kind of 24-7 kind of constant access that the smartphone provides to these apps is just a temptation too powerful for kids. And so maybe you allow them on social media, but to only access it through a computer, you know, something like that, where you're restricting the amount of potential access they can have. So that was my second kind of call to parents. And then the third around that is to just really put boundaries around the use of social media or other technologies in your home, when and how they can access the internet. I would encourage parents to really only allow that in a public space where they can monitor what their kids are doing on a password protected device that the parents have so they can only access the internet while the parent is there. And then the last thing I'll just say is that 
Um, in terms of protecting them from harmful content like sexual or illicit or pornographic content to consider, you know, installing a filter or parental control software on any of your family's devices. And I will say that that's not going to block out all the LGBT content, but it will block out any content that is sexual or pornographic in nature. And lastly, you can look at for a more robust uh, kind of guide of ideas and other um, tools that parents can use our organization, the Ethics and Public Policy Center, recently launched a parents technology guide you can find on our website at eppc.org um, that has a much fuller treatment of the things that parents can do to protect their kids. That's great. And those are great options. And for what it's worth, I'm fully supportive of not giving kids phones or access to phones until around the age of 16. I didn't get my first phone until I was 16 and it was a flip phone. It's a it's a tool, it has a purpose, and just because they're not popular anymore doesn't mean that they can't be used still. That's right. <laughs> One last question here. We know that we're being influenced every time we go online by not only influencers, but also by the big tech industry that's behind them. And I wanna mention this other project you're working on at Ethics and Public Policy Center called Big Tech Project which aims to hold big tech companies accountable. So can you just talk a little bit about that as well? Yes, so the parent uh, kind of technology angle is just one aspect of this larger project that you mentioned. And so we've just been focused on trying to hold big tech companies accountable for their censorship and suppression of free speech. Um, you know, we know that they're actively censoring and suppressing uh, the posts and media of conservative and Christian voices, um, increasingly so. And so it's no longer, these platforms are not really a neutral public square or marketplace of ideas. And so, you know, we have been looking at different policy solutions like reforming Section 230, um, considering common carrier law as a way to prevent um, discrimination against certain viewpoints expressed on these platforms, like the state of Texas has taken up a law along those lines. And then also looking at antitrust tools that can be used to try to create a more open marketplace so that competitors who want to offer a more open uh, platform can compete because right now the options are really very limited to these big tech companies. If you want your voices or ideas heard, you kind of have to be on the main platforms. And so, um, you know, we've been really focused on the censorship issue as well as the harms to kids. Um, and and also just in general on kind of the criminal content that a lot of these platforms allow to circulate that we know to be harmful, um, you know, allowing human trafficking, also pornography, other harmful, uh, violent content, content that violates criminal law to circulate on their platforms as well. So those are some of the things our project has been focused on. Well, Claire with Ethics and Public Policy Center, thank you for your time and insight today and for all the work you're doing to protect children and the family and the truth as well. Thanks for having me. All right, Madison, thank you so much for that report. And that leaves us with time for one last thing. And Trey, I wanted to look at uh, Psalm 92 here real quick, just a couple lines from it. It says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness and in the, in the morning and your faithfulness by night. So most of you are listening to this here in the morning. And uh, I just think it's a good reminder when you read the Psalms to praise God. I mean, there are Psalms, of course, where where they're crying out for help and where are you and, and what's going on. But I think it's important to... In the, in the beginning of the day, especially, to position our hearts to have a heart of gratitude. 
Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Psalms are are great at, at kind of uh, recalibrating us and refreshing us and reminding us of the goodness of God yeah. uh, in the midst of such a chaotic uh, world and I, I really like the end of Psalm 90, 92 when it says the Lord is just he is my rock and I think you know remembering that God is our foundation uh, is such an important thing when everything is so shaky around us and we don't really know what to expect when we open up our news app or you know whatever it is mm-hmm. uh, that we're going about in our day uh, so remembering that God is our rock is just another reason to be so grateful like the beginning of the psalm says yeah amen all right All right, that's all the time we have for this episode of the podcast. Your Monday is off and running, and we hope you have a fantastic week. Of course, we'll be praying for you as you go throughout your week and encounter the world. So, uh, Lord willing, in that creek don't rise, we'll be back here with more tomorrow. As always, you can head on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to leave a rating. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. God bless. See you tomorrow.